Hopefully you have an outline that says, Mercy for the merciless. Uh, as you came in this morning, we are looking at Judges chapter 15, verse 1 to 20. Now, I think I've told this story before, but the story is told of a certain preacher who asked the church one morning, how many of you are willing to forgive your enemies? And of course, everyone put up their hands, uh, except one elderly lady, Mrs. Yeah, you remember the story, perhaps. Mrs. Jones, uh, the pastor, of course, is puzzled at this. Why is everybody having their hands up except Mrs. Jones? So he asks her, Mrs. Jones, have you never offended anyone? Mrs. Jones says, no. I don't have any enemies. No one has offended me, and I haven't offended anyone. So the pastor says, Mrs. Jones, you are 93. How can you not have any enemies? And of course, Mrs. Jones responds, I have simply outlived all of them. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, bad jokes like that are only in sermons, I hear you say quietly, but hopefully you get the idea. Uh, Today, we are talking about showing mercy to people who offend us. Uh, We are currently in the book of Judges, and if you are here two weeks ago in the evening, you remember that Israel has fallen into sin, and it is now being oppressed by the Philistines. And God has done something amazing. He has raised up Samson from the barren womb of Mrs. Manoah. And Samson has been born as a deliverer from birth. And his task is to deliver Israel. But we saw last week that Samson starts his job in a very strange way. He's going about delivering Israel, but he's not doing it as we expect. Samson lives a sinful life. He breaks his Nazareth vows, right, left, and center. But amazingly, as we saw last Sunday evening, God is overruling his sin. God is working through Samson's sin, not because he approves of Samson's sin, but because God is bigger than our sin and is able to work through Samson's sin for the good of Israel. And we saw last week that Samson has married a Philistine woman. He's meant to deliver Israel from the Philistines, but he's decided to marry one of them. But then at the wedding, something strange happens. Samson gives this riddle at the wedding feast. And the wife ends up telling that riddle that Samson had said for his guests to people at the wedding. And Samson gets very angry, of course, because he loses the bet of this riddle. And he's very angry at his wife and he's angry at everyone else. So he goes to Ascalon and kills 30 Philistines, not 30,000, 30 Philistines, we'll get to 1,000 in a minute, 30 Philistines he kills at Ascalon. And he does that because he's very angry. And he robs them of these shirts they were wearing and he gives them to the people who won the bet. But Samson is very angry with his wife. So he abandons her at Timnah and he goes back to live with his father at Zorah. That's why we left the story last Sunday evening. But now Samson uh, is now coming back for his wife and he's going to return and his return to Timnah where his wife is staying is going to trigger a new wave of violence. And yet within that violence we see God's mercy towards Samson. Judges 15 really teaches us about God's mercy and forgiveness towards us and he challenges us on how we should have mercy 
towards others as people who have received mercy in Jesus. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 15. And the first point in your outline is that sometimes we lack mercy. Sometimes we lack mercy and forgiveness towards people in our lives. So Samson is back in Zora, as I said, with his parents, and he, he starts missing his wife in Timna. Remember, he was only married for seven days, really, and then he stormed off. So he's missing his bride. He needs to go back and see her, as husbands tend to miss their wives. So he thinks to himself, I need to go back and I need to patch things up. So look at verse 1. He says to us, Samson went down to Timna. After a few days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young god. And he said, I will go to my wife in the chamber. Now, <laughs> the god here is Samson's idea of red roses, okay? So he wants to patch things up. And he car- I don't know what you carry, when you, what you buy your wife when you upset her, but Samson has got a god and uh, he's hoping to patch things up that you'll be forgiven. But just as Samson is about to enter a room, he gets a nasty surprise. Let's read on verse 1. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. What seems to have happened here is that somehow, when Samson stormed off, his best man at the wedding well, I thought, well, he's not coming back, so, so I better perhaps propose to Mrs. Samson. And he stepped in, the best man of all people. He stepped in to Maria, and the father accepted. Now, this is the sort of thing we see on the Jeremy Cow show, isn't it? Plenty of mad to go around. Everyone in the story is acting shamefully. I mean, why is Samson storming off? I mean, the best man of all people, come on. And then the father to allow these things, the father-in-law to allow these things, is shocking. Now, it seems obvious to me, as I was reading this story, that Samson's father-in-law is not a fan of Samson. I mean, who can blame him? Would you want a killing machine like Samson for a son-in-law? Of course not. And so when Samson goes off, he quickly gives his, his daughter to someone else. But the problem is that Samson is back, okay? And the father-in-law knows how dangerous Samson is. So he's thinking to himself, well, I need a quick solution. So he decides to offer Samson a new marriage deal to a younger sister. Look at, uh, let's read on verse 2. He says this, he says, verse 2 says, And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not a younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. He's, he's quaking in his boots and he just decided to auction off his youngest daughter to pacify Samson. But Samson is not interested. His pride has been wounded and now he decides to go nuclear by setting fire to all the local food supply around Timna. In fact, perhaps all the food supply owned by the Philistines. Look at verse 3 to verse 5. Verse 3 says, And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing corn of the Philistines 
and set fire to the stacked corn and the standing corn as well as the olive orchard. This four-footed arson itself caused rubble to the entire food supply of the Philistines. And of course, this is happening at wheat harvest. So all the food they have is be, is been completely burned up because Samson is very angry at what his father-in-law and his wife has done. It is shocking and it is excessive revenge because Samson has taken out his anger on other Philistines for something done to him by his wife and her dad. We need to understand this. This is a bit like uh, an Englishman who marries a French woman. And when the French woman decides to leave him, he starts to attacking every lorry or truck coming from France. I mean, this is basically what Samson is doing. It is madness. But this is Samson. He lacks mercy towards others. He is hurt. And the root of bitterness in Samson is growing deep and there is no room for forgiveness. Sometimes we are like Samson. We lack mercy towards people in our lives who have offended us because of the terrible physical or emotional pain they have caused us. Or they may still be causing us today. And there is nothing more painful in life than somebody deliberately going out of their way to arm us for nothing perhaps we have done to them. Pain and suffering at the hands of other people is more painful than anything else. Car crashes are accidents. Diseases are impersonal. But when someone willfully abuses us, verbally, physically, financially, emotionally, that feels different. It pushes our pain off the scale. And because it's so painful to receive pain from people, it means that we are not always willing to admit that we carry unforgiveness and bitterness towards other people in our lives. Now we can hear sermon after sermon, but because the pain is so deep within us, sometimes we even deny we carry bitterness, or sometimes we just don't want to hear it. So when I said all of us sometimes lack mercy towards other people, there was an inner lawyer in your heart who said, well, that's not me. That sounds like Susan, who is always complaining to everyone about how her, her husband treats her. She has unforgiveness. She is bitter. But I'm not. I hope Catherine is listening to what the pastor is saying. She has a poor relationship with her father because of the way he has treated the family in the past. Yeah, it must be for Juliet. She has never reconciled with Janet in the church over a silly argument. Even now, they never talk to one another. We, we have these examples in our hearts, and, and we think this issue is for others. But friends, this sermon is for you. This sermon is especially for me as well. Because as I speak to many pastors, one thing that constantly keeps coming back is that a lot of them have a lot of bitterness. When you see Robert as another pastor, it doesn't take long before they start complaining about how people have mistreated them in their churches. No matter how long they have stayed there. You see, all of us are in danger of having bitterness in our hearts. So all of us this morning 
especially me, need to ask ourselves, what person is God calling me to forgive today? Is it a family member? Someone at work? A classmate, perhaps? Your neighbor? Someone in this room? Sometimes we lack mercy. And you need to actively identify areas where you are lacking mercy. And here is the reason why. And this is our second reason. Lack of mercy is, because this is our second point. Sometimes we lack mercy. Point number two. What does that matter? Well, it matters because lack of mercy is costly. Let's go back to Samson. We see Samson has destroyed the entire food supply of the Philistines. And then word gets run. Look at verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. Now, let's pause it. Now, we're expecting them at this point now, once they know the culprit, to go after Samson. But that's not what they do. Instead, what they do is, they now turn to Samson's father-in-law. Let's read on verse 6. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson's revenge on the Philist- for his, what his father-in-law and, and his wife did in revenge on the Philistines. The Philistines, in turn, instead of going after Samson, they go after his father-in-law. They burn her. By the way, if you were here last week, you know what is happening to what has happened to Samson's wife is exactly what she was trying to avoid when she shared the riddle. Do you remember they threatened to burn her? And then she decided to share that riddle Samson had set so that she should not be burned. But of course, she, by doing that, she triggered events that have now re- led to her finally being burned. I think there's an application, side application there for all of us. That when we take decisions into our own hands, when we try to short-circuit God, we try to take the future in our own hands, in the end, we pay the ultimate price. And here, she has found that, yes, she tried to get away by, by cheating on Samson, by breaking his trust, but revenge she triggered has now led to her own death. And so Samson's wife is dead, but what would Samson do? Well, you think now you say, we've had enough violence, enough blood has been spilled. No, more violence. A bit like when politicians go to war after their country has been attacked. Samson is going for more war, more revenge, perhaps in the name of justice. Look at verse 7 to verse 8. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. Verse 8, And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Eton. Now, Samson is now a wanted man. He's, he's now destroyed a few Philistines, and now he's hiding in the rock of Edom, in the land of Judah. And the Philistines, here, is in Judah. And they quickly send people to smoke him out. They want more revenge. Look at verse 9 to 10. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson and to do to him 
as he did to us. Notice the saying, we have come to do revenge. An eye for an eye, he killed one of us, we want to come and kill him too. They are saying to Judah, this is revenge time. We want to kill Samson for killing us. And if you don't give him up, you will also die with Samson. Now, the tribe of Judah here has a big decision to make. Okay? Samson is their leader, is their judge. So they could decide to say, look, we've got 3,000 people, you be with us, and let's just fight the Philistine and end this thing. Or they could sell out and give up Samson. They decide to sell out and give up Samson. They don't want war with the Philistines. So they just band up Samson. They want to hand him over. And that's what they do. Look at verse 11. The 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock, the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you know we don't have a choice? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. Something said, look, this is revenge. They did something wrong, I've done something to them. And look at verse 12. And they said to him, the men of Judah, we have come down to bind you. We have made up our mind. We are handing you over whether you like it or not. We want to give you into the hands of the Philistines. Judah has no stomach for a fight. It prefers to betray its own God-appointed leader, Samson, than fight their enemy. And the only surprise here is that Samson, we expect Samson, to, based on his record, Samson doesn't care about anyone, based on his record, what should Samson do? We expect him to go for a fight, but he doesn't. For the first time in his life, Samson gives in. Look at verse 12 to verse 13. We continue verse 12. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. Well, they've already killed him by capturing him. Really, they're trying to kill him, aren't they? So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. They've handed him over to the Philistines. Let us pause the camera here. Samson is bound in ropes. That's what we see. We see a man full of bitterness. And he's all bound up by ropes. He's very lonely at this point, Samson. He has no one he can rely on. And we see that he's being led to his own death. The judge of Israel. He has destroyed his life. Why has he destroyed his life? Because he lacks mercy towards others. He has triggered a web of violence through revenge that is now threatening to crush him. Friends, lack of mercy is costly. It always costs us. You see, many of the emotional and physical problems people struggle with are the direct result of bitterness unforgiveness, and emotional stress. Read book after book, Christian psychologists and, and many counselors tell us anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness can result in feelings of depression, anxiety, and many other problems. People who refuse to forgive become critical and suspicious of other people. 
You see, you can't hide bitterness. It will always come out one way or the other. And once you develop a critical spirit, people sense it. And they begin to stay away from you. No one wants to be friends with a person who is unforgiving or always angry. And this brings us to the tragic cost of unforgiveness. A bitter person cannot truly love anyone else, nor can they receive love from other people. Families with bitter people are never happy families. If you are not bitter, if you are bitter and unforgiving, you always be lonely like Samson. Many people who never extend mercy towards others are not able to form lasting friendship with anyone. As a pastor, I've seen many people come to me and say, look, I don't have any friends in my life. So I'd like, can you pray for me to have more friends and perhaps who can I be friends with? And the answer, of course, is always obvious. They have bitterness from the past and forgiveness. Even if Chola can purchase for them 50 friends from another church, it's not going to work. Because bitter people never have real long-term friendships. In fact, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, if we are angry and bitter, if we want to know whether we are angry and bitter, is how good are we at forming lasting friendships? We may not know why we are bitter and angry, but what's one of the questions we can ask ourselves? I'm not saying if you're not a friend, that's the only reason, no. I'm saying that's one area for us to ask ourselves. Because this is an area where we are damaged most. And here is the ultimate cost of unforgiveness. It cuts us off from God. Friends, be under no illusion this morning. There will be no one in heaven who lacks mercy and forgiveness towards others. No one. Why is that? Because God is merciful towards us and therefore all true children of God are his nature. We are merciful towards others. And this is our final truth. The first truth is sometimes we lack mercy. Why is that a big deal? Because lack of mercy is costly. What does this mean for us? We need to remember God is merciful towards to the merciless. God is merciful towards us. Let us press play on Samson's life. You know, we remember we left him bound, right? He was bound, he was being handed over to the Philistines. And the Philistines are excited. Look at verse 14. When he came to Lehi, when they brought him to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. He's now facing his death. And then God shows up. Let's read on verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, enveloped him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax. All the ropes are now just melting. Samson's becoming powerful. They have even caught fire and his bones melted off his hands. Look at verse 15. And he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Verse 16 says, And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, hips upon hips, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, 
And that place was called Ramath Lehi. Literally, in your footnote in your Bible, it should be Jawbone Hill. That's what it was called. It's a hill. Why? Because of the power of dead bodies where Samson has struck them. God has empowered Samson to kill a thousand Philistines, not with a sword, but with a mere jawbone of a dog, a fresh one even. But notice here that Samson is not out of the woods yet. After fighting so many men, it's understandable he's dying of thirst. The Bible is very realistic, you know. He doesn't expect, you know, this tell Samson after a thousand men is out there, you know, walking normal. No, he's tired. You would, wouldn't you, if you took on a thousand men, well, you'd be dead. But you get the idea. After a thousand men, even empowered by the Spirit of God, he's now dying of thirst. And in verse 18, we are told, he cries out to God. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, and he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised or the unbelievers? Now, when you look at that, this is a prayer, by the way, but this is a confused prayer. There is no repentance from Samson for all his sins. This is the first time he prays, and look what he prays. It's disappointing. And his prayer is more like a demand. It's like, look, I've done a job for you, so you've got to do one for me. And he's also full of hypocrisy. Notice how he refers to the Philistines. Shall I not die of thirst? And for into the hands of the uncircumcised, the unbelievers. And if you are reading this, you're thinking, come on, Samson, you just married one of them. And now you can see that they're not believers. Samson is confused. But Richard Sieb says to us, God is a meek king. He admits mourners into his presence. He is a king of the afflicted. Has, he has beams of majesty, so he has a heart of mercy. That's our God. And we see this God of mercy. Now, instead of rejecting this confused prayer, God makes sense out of a confused prayer. And he reaches out to Samson with mercy. Look at verse 19. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi. And water came out of from it. And when he drank, that is Samson, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called Enhakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he, that is Samson, judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Samson only lives for Samson. He has no mercy. And yet when he has needed mercy from God, God has lavished it on him in great abundance. He has not only done this amazing miracle for Samson, giving water from a rock, he has done more than that. He has now ensured he's able to judge Israel for 20 years. Why? Because God is a God of mercy. He shows mercy to the merciless. And friends, this is good news for all of us. Why is it good news? Because the God of Samson is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to sinners such as us. 
The Bible says all of us here in this room are falling short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. And like Samson, we deserve to die along with the dead bodies. A job on hill. But God in his rich mercy has put on what? The rags of human flesh in Jesus. God has condescended. He has walked up to the cross and died for your sins and mine. Your sins past, present, future have been paid for on the cross. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, God has canceled all your offenses against him. Friends, God is not angry with you anymore. And you will never be. God is not holding your sins against you because what? He has charged them against his son, our Lord Jesus, on the cross. You are forgiven forever. And this is why you now, if you are truly trusting in Jesus, must show mercy to people in your life. You see this? Because if you belong to Jesus, you cannot carry the bitterness and the unforgiveness in your heart towards other people. Regardless who they are, if you always refuse to forgive others, if you never seek to reconcile with people, it means you do not understand what a Christian is. A Christian is a person forgiven by God and their heart has now been changed. God has given them a new heart that now enables them to forgive quickly as they have been forgiven. Yes, forgiveness is not easy. Many people have done many abusive things towards us. And the tape of, re- of abuse just keeps playing and keeps playing over in our mind. So it's not easy. But for us in Jesus, who have been forgiven by our great God and Father, it is not impossible to forgive. You can forgive. Because you know what forgiveness is. But not only do you know what forgiveness is, you have experienced it in Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven on the cross. And not only that, you have been born again. You have the very Spirit of God in you who can empower you to forgive. So if you are in Jesus, go to our Lord Jesus right now, right away. Ask God to help you forgive. Start by looking at him hanging there on the cross for you. See how God has shed his blood. The blood of God has been shed for your sins. He has taken your sins and wiped your slate clean in Jesus. Ask God to help you forgive people in your life who have offended you. And ask God to reveal any source of bitterness that you have. Now, if you've been following this and you're still with me, you're asking a question. I hear you, Chola. Thank you. Well, maybe no thanks. But how can I know I have forgiven someone? Well, I think you can know that you're forgiving someone by a helpful note from someone. Someone has, uh, has described forgiveness as a decision to make Four promises. When you forgive someone, you are making a decision to make of four promises. Promise number one: I will not dwell on this incident. 
I will not dwell on this incident. Promise number two you're making when you forgive, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Promise number three you're making, I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not talk to others about this incident. That's not a hash-hash, but you will not talk to them about it in a way in which you are still talking about it. You're putting it behind you now. Incident, lesson number four, or evidence number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Those are four promises you're making. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring it up. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. And four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's the standard of forgiveness we're talking about. If that's not what you're doing, you have not forgiven. And you need to be honest before the Lord and say, help me to forgive. Because this is what we mean by forgiveness. It is you bringing the person before God and asking God to work towards reconciliation with them. It is you offering forgiveness. Now, of course, some people may never accept forgiveness. But really, forgiveness, that's the way that this is, it is between you and God. Bringing this person in this way we've described, releasing them before God in this way. We are to show mercy to everyone. And it is not easy to do that. But if you are in Jesus, I've said, you are not alone. God the Spirit will help you forgive. But if you refuse to act on this today, if there is no desire to forgive, then it means you have not received forgiveness in Jesus. Friends, let us not be deluded about this. It does not matter whether you're a pastor or whether you're a church elder or church leader or a church member, or even baptized. If you have no desire to forgive others, it is a massive red flag, a big red flag. How do you pray the Lord's Prayer? How can you take communion? You can't. Because you can only take communion if you're forgiving others. Because that's what he says. If you come to the church and you are forgiveness, you must lay it at, you must leave the altar behind, go and reconcile or forgive, and then take communion. Otherwise, you're taking communion, you are bringing judgment on yourself. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. You are nothing better than deceitful hypocrites if you harbor in your minds a single and forgiving thought. There are some sins which may be in the heart and yet may be saved. But you cannot be saved. Listen to him. You cannot be saved unless you are forgiven. If we do not choose to forgive, we choose to be damned. Do you understand? If you are not willing to forgive, you are not born again. And you are galloping towards eternal destruction. And you have far bigger problems than forgiving someone. 
So you need to then be asking Jesus to give you a new heart that truly trusts in him fully. But if there is a desire to forgive, if there is a desire to forgive, yes, you're struggling with it. You want to forgive, and you're crying before the Lord to help you forgive. Well, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Because you're still struggling. You're like, you're like Gideon and the 400 men. Tired yet pursuing. That's hope for them. And God will help you forgive. So keep going to him. And my prayer this morning is that God will confirm his work of grace in every one of us sat here this morning. By enabling us to repent of any lack of mercy and forgiveness we have towards others. Amen.